Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Foul Critics. Uh, I'm Paul Field, standing in for Steve Norman, who's in prison. Uh, no, sorry, not prison. <laughs> um, Steve is caravanning in North Wales with a friend. Um, I'm joined tonight by tax-dodging adult student Owen Hughes. Hello. Thank you. And the world's second grumpiest old man. Welcome, Liam. Hello. <laughs> Just lovely introductions from Paul there. <laughs> Expected nothing less, I have to admit. <laughs> Hey, well, guys. I got the I got sort of uh, moved back to second. Yes, just, uh, should we explain why? Because I thought Liam might have been older than me, so I had him actually down in my notes as the world's grumpiest old man. Found out he was two years younger than me. Quickly changed my notes to second. Yeah, that's okay. the kind of professionalism, the on the spot thinking that we are lacking on this podcast. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, you know, I'm not saying there's a position and an opening up, but you know. Steve's got to bring his A game when he gets back. When he gets back from North Wales, where he's spending yeah. time with a friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, should we do the quiz? Let's do the quiz. Yeah, there's nothing at stake this week, though, other than, what, pride? Pride. Uh, mm. Yeah. Mm. Right. <laughs> I may have misled you slightly in my email about this being on a 1929 thesis uh, on uh, intellectual... What the hell was it? I can't remember. But anyway... <laughs> It's, it's not, not about Sergei Eugenstein. That's not. No. I'm offended now. I it's, thought that's. I've got all my notes prepared. I've been reading up on him all day. Yep. Ugh. No, it's about rude movie reviews on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's better. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some information and the review, and then I'm going to give you three choices. One of them is obviously the film that's actually being reviewed. Two of them are fake. All I need you to do is pick the film. That, that this review re- relates to. Got it? Right. Okay. Okay, so Jack Crow, one star. Wow. I was seriously disturbed by this film. Whoever wrote this must have been a deeply deranged individual with a really sick mind because some of the scenes in this movie are just downright despicable and gross. Is Jack talking about Transformers, <laughs> Aladdin, or Gremlins? Wow. See, I would, I'm inclined to say Gremlins because that's the one that you could think, well, maybe someone will think that's kind yeah. of sick and twisted. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm, going, I'm going Gremlins, I think. I think I'm going to join you on it because it is it's the one that you think, it's, yeah, that someone could take way too seriously if they chose to. Okay. No one's going to describe Transformers as sick and twisted, are they? I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you know, Michael Bay, maybe. <laughs> Let's yeah. go on to the next one. <laughs> it's a one-star review by someone called Bob Marley. And he says, hate it. 
There's something about people breaking out into song and dance for every, and there's a classic spelling here of insignificant with two O's, insignificant <laughs> uh, thing that really bugs me. Um, so which film does he hate for people bursting out into song? Is it one, The Wizard of Oz, two, Grease, or three, High School Musical? I heartily agree with the man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it could be any of Wizard of Oz, I think, because the others probably have more people dislike them and, than the Wizard of Oz would. So I'll go with Wizard of Oz on that. I reckon people bursting randomly into song, <clears throat> you know, that's probably high school musical. Just thinking about the everyday shit that's happening to them. Okay. Yeah, fair comment. Mm-hmm. Log jamming. 90 is this guy's name, and he's given this film four stars. Uh, uh, the title is Okay, But Hot Chicks. I didn't think this was that great, but the brunette has an awesome rack in this film. Really got me hard. I'm lonely, so whatever works, I love. <laughs> oh, dear. As a little addendum here, two people found that review useful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, is he talking about Vampire Academy? Twilight or Transformers? Well, Transformers has a certain amount of uh, sexualization of Megan Fox in it, right? So Transformers on that one. Um, needless to say, I haven't seen any of them. Mind you, I don't <laughs> think I've seen hardly any of the films that have been mentioned in any of the questions. But uh, <laughs> uh, um, I'll go with Vampire Academy then. Right, the next one. Christy Kitchens gave this one star. And the title is Not the Kind of Movie I Enjoy. Not the kind <laughs> of movie I enjoy. I should stick to movies with horses in them. <laughs> is she talking about Magic Mike, Fifty Shades of Grey, or Spectre? <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey, got to be. <laughs> um, Magic Mike, I guess. What 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 films are there with horses in other than War Horse and Black Beauty? I mean, what kind of film? What niche is that? It's films with horses in, Owen. Maybe she's a fan of Mr. Hands. I don't know. Don't Google that. Okay. No, definitely don't Google that. Um, the next one is uh, Ice Rose 87 uh, and a one-star review entitled Don't Bother. I stopped watching this as soon as I saw what little clothes the girl was wearing. They couldn't have come up with a skimpier outfit. Disgusting. The swearing is really annoying, makes the characters look like uneducated jerks. This movie has no class. Is he talking about Avatar, Sucker Punch or Kick-Ass? Well, you know, Sucker Punch has no class at all, so Sucker Punch, I guess. Again, once again, um, I haven't seen any of them. Uh, But... Uh, from what bits I've seen of that, I'll say um, Avatar on that. Okay. Uh, Antoine has given this film a one-star review, and the headline is Hard to Fap To. Um, <laughs> oh, this is a horrific film. I had a difficult time masturbating to it. It was that bad. Don't waste your time. Was he watching Irreversible, Spring Breakers, or The Danish Girl? <laughs> Oh my goodness! It's got to be the Danish girl, isn't it? It's got to be the Danish girl. Someone taking the piss, yeah. The yeah. Danish girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Last one. This is a three-star review from BHB, who says, "I ate out my ex while she was watching this movie. Were they watching Frozen, Brokeback <laughs> Mountain, or Marley and Me?" 
I think that sounds a bit like someone trying to assert how manly they are for yeah, watching exactly. Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, I was going to think the same, yeah. Mm, so yeah. I'm a bit overcompensating, I think. Exactly, so, so. Yeah, so you can say, uh, yeah, he, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Okie dokie. Right. God, I hope it's not a tie-break. Every time we do this, it's <laughs> a tie-break, isn't it? Have right. you got a tie-break prepared? I do. Very simple one. Okay. The guy who was seriously disturbed, whoever wrote this must have been deeply deranged, da-da-da-da-da. Transformers, Aladdin and Gremlins. You both went for Gremlins. It was, in yeah. fact, Aladdin. What? <laughs> so, no points each. Um, something about people breaking out into song and dance for every mm-hmm. insignificant oh, thing yeah, that really yeah. bugs me. It wasn't High School Musical, Owen. Oh. It wasn't Grease. It was, in fact, The Wizard of Oz. Yes. Wow. So, Liam, point for you, mate. Yep. The film with the girl with the uh, with the decent rack? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't Transformers, Owen. Oh, my God. Nor was it Twilight. It was, in fact, the schoolgirl vampire film, Vampire Academy. Yes. So, point for you, Liam. Yeah, but I'm an Arsenal fan too, Neil. We're going to lose this. <laughs> the Christy Kitchens, who seems to enjoy films that only contain horses. Mm-hmm. She was watching Magic Mike. Point for Owen. Oh, back in the game. Yes. Don't bother. I stopped watching this as soon as I saw the girl take her clothes off. Blah, 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 blah. So, Liam, you thought it was Avatar? Yeah. Owen, you thought it was Sucker Punch? Mm-hmm. It was Avatar. Oh, <laughs> it was the girl who took her clothes off, Sigourney Weaver. Or are they talking about the big blue alien? Oh, the, the blue one, yeah. I've not seen it, so I've no idea. Oh. This is a horrific film. I had a difficult time masturbating to it. It was that bad. It wasn't the Danish girl. It was, in fact, oh. Spring Breakers. So oh. you, you came up with the idea of the Danish girl. <laughs> yes. Do you know what? And I thought you'd go for it as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, funny enough, when I went to see Spring Breakers, there was only... there was. Me and Kathy went, and there was one guy in the cinema in a dirty old Mac who oh. looked, he was there masturbating. Oh. And Just really big fan of James Franco, probably. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I ate out my ex while she was watching this. It wasn't Brokeback Mountain. Oh. It was Frozen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, a comfortable, comfortable 3-1 victory in the quiz. Good Lord. i'll give give you the tie break because it's really quick anyway just as a um the most popular amazon movie review on on twitter is actually the review reads there were no wolves in it do you know which film that's from dances with wolves well no because that has a wolf in it (laughs) (laughs) there were no wolves in it most popular review It's, it's the wolf of wall street but how, oh. how many times has that been retweeted? Is this from the Amazon review? Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm, 1.2 million. Yeah, right. Yeah. Liam? Yeah, uh, 1.8. It's it 23,000. I mean, it's no, <laughs> been retweeted 1.2 million times. Yeah. Cool, that's your quiz, guys. Very yeah. good. I enjoyed it. it. Yeah. yeah. It was, was crap, it, but it was fun. <laughs> right, should we have some news then, boys? Yep. Let's do it. Okay. Right, this week's news, only a couple of items really, and one I wasn't even aware of, um, Passion of the Christ 2. Can we say that? Because it does. every time I say that, it makes me laugh, Yes, it sounds so ridiculous. It is ridiculous, that's why. I mean, I do remember the Mel Gibson's film, but it was so violent, 
it's the I had to, to switch it off. I just when the, really? this, isn't this one where they whip him and whip him and whip him, and then you think it's over, and they goes turn him over. And yeah. Ah, oh, no, couldn't be doing with it. Really, that surprises me because some of the films that you watched, I would have thought that not that it would be up your alley kind of thing, but that it wouldn't have turned you off like that. I think it's the difference between stuff being in horror films and being daft. Mm-hmm. And something being so vicious and so real. Mm. Yeah. Like, in my yeah. mind, I can separate the two. Yeah, it, well, inter- cartoon violence. And... Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Interesting that you would describe the Passion of the Christ as so real. Well, that's I mean, um... <laughs> I, I just, yeah. It was a long time ago, but I don't know. Two thousand and four, apparently. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is when it came out. Thirty million it cost to make. Thirty million dollars. That is, so that would have been about what fifteen million pounds, uh, brought in over six hundred million dollars, according to Den of Geeks report. Mm-hmm. That's a lot, isn't it? I mean, it does make you wonder, um, in the current climate, how it has taken so long for them to make a sequel of of this film. But at the same time, who do they? Where do they go from there, though? Because isn't it sort of relying on your man putting in an appearance at some point? Well, you would have thought so, yeah. He was resurrected. Yeah, but but then he cleared off, didn't he? He he said, I'll be back, and he didn't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Allegedly, or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) Fair. If I bunked off school, it it was RE that I bunked off. Yeah. 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 Um, Although I do love the the independent headline for this is Jesus is back in Passion of the Christ (laughs) 2. This time it's personal. (laughs) He must skint, mustn't he? He must have looked back in his back catalogue and thought, Hmm. you know, which well can I go back to? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have noticed there's been a lot of these um, religious movies added to Netflix lately as well. What do they call, they call them something, don't they? They're not called religious movies. They're called faith movies. Is that right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. There's mm. a new one out this week. I heard on uh, uh, Radio 5 on the way home on Friday, I heard them talking about this, some faith movie with Jennifer Garner and saying there's a kind of um, a resurgence in, in these films in the States. Yeah. Well, we've had quite a few big budget versions of them, haven't we? I mean, we had Noah quite recently. And uh, what was the one with Christian Bale in it? Uh, with about Moses, I forget what that one was even called now. But I mean, like, they're not religious movies when you watch them. They're not all about faith and stuff. But no, th- but that's what they're based on, they? you know, those stories. So, well, it's some of the you know the oldest stories known to known to man, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, I have no, you know, I'm sure we'll see it because we do a podcast. But other than that, I can't say I'm massively excited. No, me neither. I mean, like you, I can't really remember the the first one anyway, other than the fact that it was really gruesome. Yeah, it was, it was too gruesome for me. Uh, and that's kind of how it made its money, wasn't it? A lot of people went to see it who wouldn't have had any interest in seeing it at all, apart from the fact that it was built up. Because 2004, it was around the time that, like, torture porn movies just went through the roof, you know. Saw and... Um, uh, Wolf Creek and all them lot as well. So I think there was a kind of audience, a curious audience who would see it. Uh, but now, in today's climate, would that audience still exist? Would Probably. it pull in the Certainly money? in the States. Do you reckon? Yeah, of course like, it will. You get these people who do like to sort of be professionally outraged, you know, they've got to have something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so to be either, you know, it's the most wonderful thing or it's the biggest abomination I've ever seen. I'm going to kill a bunch of people, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you get that sort, don't you, as well? So, 
Yeah, it's a fair not point. For me, no. No. Not for me, though. Not for me. Right, let's move on to, uh, well, what was going to be More Rats 2. More <coughs> Rats mm-hmm. um, was a feature. And I remember Kevin Smith tweeting pictures of all the people who agreed to sign up for this. Um, but now it's not a feature anymore. It's going to be a, a TV show. I think he said, is it Universal he's making it with? And then they're going to try and sell it. Um, I think so, yeah. Of all those people who are holding up these little cards and things and saying they were going to be in the film, looking on IMDb, only Jason Lee and Shannon Doherty appear to be back now. um, And they ain't doing anything anyway. Mm, They're mm. virtually unemployed. I mean, as the kind of resident Kevin Smith fan, Mm. I mean, you as you know, the last episode of Underground Nights and you and Mullinger were talking about it called Comedies and Kevin Smith inevitably came up in that conversation. Yep. Um, what was your opinion on Mall Rats? Because you didn't mention Mall Rats on Underground Nights, I don't think. Did no, you? but I, I, yeah, I loved, yeah. loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was one of my, one of my favourite films for, for, for ages. Yeah. Um, and is, I know it was a massive flop, but... I wasn't even aware that it was a flop because when we saw it over here, I, you know, I wasn't mm-hmm. I was into film, but not to the level where I was looking at the box office. Mm-hmm. It just, I just thought, cool, another Kevin Smith film. I didn't even get the budget. I didn't really understand that it had, you know, tons and tons of money thrown at it. It didn't, it didn't come across like that to me. It just felt like I was watching, you know, clubs sure. again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but his career has just gone down and down and down and down and, I've started reading some of the reviews for Yoga Hoses, mm-hmm. uh, and it's getting absolutely slaughtered. Um, I don't know if you've read any of them, but basically, it's it's a film with his kid and Johnny Depp's kid. Yeah, and he's so invested in his kid at the moment. It's just I find it ridiculous. If you tried to show me a picture of your kid, I'd be instantly bored. I don't want to see pictures of other people's kids, right? Mm-hmm. And you know what I really don't want to see? A 90-minute film of other people's <laughs> kids. I just don't. Some of the reviews are saying it's solely aimed at 13-year-old girls and it's a terrible comedy about Nazi sausages. What? Yeah, I've seen a couple of trailers and that pretty much sums it up. It is aimed at teenage girls. It's a PG rated film and it's about nazi sausages right you know i used to like smodcast i used to listen to smodcast and there was a point in smodcast where he started to smoke lots and lots of weed Mm -hmm. and it started to go downhill yeah um it sounds like not the weed i used to listen to his podcast oh yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like he's just come up with this when he's been stoned and someone around him says yeah that's funny Boom, there you go, new film. Nazi Sausages. Yeah, have you not seen the trailer? No. Oh, you I've should... been avoiding it. I didn't watch his last one that you hated as well, with Johnny Depp in it. Yeah, well, he plays the same character. It's part of a trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not good. It, you should, I, the fact, when you next lose the quiz, we'll get to uh, <laughs> make watch Tusk, because when I watched it, it was like watching a horror film made by someone who'd never seen a horror film. It is bad, but it's so bad that you should definitely watch it. That's strange, because he he did really well when he broke off from his traditional format to make um, uh, Red State. That was was decent. I enjoyed that. Um, So it just seems odd that he keeps returning to these things, the Viewers' Universe or whatever it's called. 
I mean, I haven't seen anything he made since. I mean, I saw obviously I saw Clarks, I saw Mallrats, saw Dogma, and that awful follow-on there, the Jay and Silent Bob something. <laughs> Strike back. Strike back. That was it. Yeah. Nah. Um, I love that. Liam. In that, fact, though. that was we did the last podcast we did. That yeah. was in fact my number one. Uh, the Strike Back. Yeah. Yeah, of all the uh, we did a cult comedy special. We did our top. Yeah, yeah, that's my number one. I didn't get to hear all of that. I got part way through that podcast. I didn't get to hear all of it. Um, Was it had its? I remember it having its moments. Especially was it uh, was George Carlin in it briefly? Yeah, 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 yeah. The um, old hitchhiker dude. That's it. Remember the remember the rules of the road. Yeah, that sort of (laughs) thing. Yeah, it had its had its moments, but then it just went off on too much, bit too much for me, and I sort of like bowed out of his stuff after that sort of thing yeah I, i'm similar in that I, I used to like a lot of his stuff more rats in particular I, I used to really enjoy clerks of course and dogma i think still holds up as a, as a good film um yeah. but the rest i've been able to pretty much take or leave and it kind of depends what mood i'm in um but i have no interest in seeing uh, a more rats tv series i have to admit i'll, I'll watch them because I've invested so much time into Kevin Smith's career. Mm-hmm. I've got no choice but to. You know, <laughs> I feel duty bound that I have to watch it, even if it's terrible. I did actually read his book, um, Silent Bob Speaks. Yeah, I've got that as well. Yeah, I did actually read that. Yeah. Well, so the main thing I remember taking from it is his massive hatred of uh, Reese Witherspoon, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he falls out of people all the time. and, and it's constantly greasy Reese Witherspoon, constantly being said. I loved his story about um, Tim Burton and making Batman and how he just doesn't read comics and said he would never read comics. He's like, well, why the fuck is he making a Batman film? There's a, there's a clip on YouTube of him giving this speech at one of his live Q&As and it's actually it's really funny. Well, he really hates him, doesn't he? Because he yeah. makes fun of him in uh, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back with the, with the Planet of the Apes stuff. He does, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah his donkey jizzes, I saw that film. Mm. But yeah. but this, that's yeah. why I love Jane Silent Bob. There's so many things going on there. It's very personal, uh, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, if you're not immersed in his world to the point where you know who he's having a beef with, you will not get everything out of that film. Mm. Yeah. And equally, over time, even I forget all the things that were going on then. And, you know, you've even got people like Judd Nelson's in there only because Kevin Smith loves the Brat Pack films. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, yeah. and he even talks about Sherman, doesn't he? Sherman High and all these fictional places. Yeah. It's a, an absolute labour of love to the people who were into his stuff at that time. So it's a, yeah, commercially it was always suicide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should we do what we've been watching? Let's do it. Yep. This week on what we've been watching, uh, myself and Owen, um, only today in fact, were fortunate enough to be given access to a screener to a film called Credit for Murder. Yeah. Can I just say thanks to um, one of the co-directors, Vladi Antonovich, for letting us review this as well before it's actually out in the UK. And actually, I'll do, I will mention this as well because he did say to me that, the di- that they're looking to screen the film at the Open Russia Club in London on the 27th or the 28th of this month. So if you do get the opportunity... It's well worth keeping an eye out for it because we both really enjoyed this documentary, didn't we, Paul? Yeah, I 
I really, really love this. I, I kind of heard about it from Hot Dogs, uh, Hot Docs, the uh, festival in Canada, and tweeted that I was really keen to see it. Um, somebody then said, "Oh, do you know what? If you uh, if you touch base with the director, he he may well be kind enough to give you access to um, a screener." And I said, "I asked you to contact him," and this was mm-hmm. what, a couple of months ago. It was uh, beginning of May, I think it was. And then out of the blue, I think it was today, he finally replied. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I know. So we both thought, do you know what? Let's just make time this evening, watch it. Um, premise is fairly, well, not simple, but it's about the murder of uh, two immigrants um, and a video that surfaces of this murder, one of beheading, one of shooting, by what looks like neo Nazis. Uh, yeah, so it was a, neo, a neo-Nazi video put onto YouTube of yeah. uh, beheading, wasn't it? In 2007, I think this was. Mm-hmm. So the two the two guys who are investigating this, the two documentary makers, decide what they're going to do is find out who was responsible, who was actually in the beheading, who was being murdered, and then they set about trying to bring justice for that. So it's it's a proper kind of like investigative journalism um story in the sense that they're that what they're trying to do is trying to uncover the truth and nail the bad guys and the balls on the pair of them i mean not just the literal balls you see on one of them at the end of the the film i mean like literally wow just wow what what they did was incredible i think Uh, it totally blew me away i mean Mm -hmm. none least when they go into the woods and that gun comes out Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i as soon as he said put this vest on yeah, I clocked. I looked behind the guy's back, and I saw the gun. And I so you knew what was coming. And mm-hmm. I was like, "Holy fuck!" Me and Catherine sat on the sofa, completely glued to the screen. And even though we knew what was going to happen, when it does, you're just unbelievable. He's what a guy. Oh, I love time with those two. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a proper who done it. It's a true crime. It's an conspiracy extremism. even I, mean, oh, I can't i you know we don't want to spoil this for people do we because no it's not no. out yet but, and i think that what, what i like about it as well is there's no solid end or conclusion to this it is left to you to pick yeah. at the clues they give you and form mm-hmm. what you think is actually going on right yeah so I, I like that about it it tells you stuff without um Forcing you to believe stuff, I think. Yeah, and <laughs> there is a little bit of hand-holding, but you need that because there's various sort of chess pieces in play and you have this kind of lovely timeline where they plant different events, different things happening, different mm-hmm. people involved, and that helps you keep some semblance of understanding of what's going on, to whom, when, and yep. the detective work in it is really clever as well. Just brilliant. They spot things, don't they? Which you think, oh, yeah, really, you know. Yeah. I mean, you get what you get with it is a kind of narrative sense of structure of this is happening at this point and then this happened at this point and then this happened at this point. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't quite have a sense of you being with these people as they learn new things because it goes back to this timeline that you mentioned. Yeah. It's like graphic. Um, where it puts things down, but you, like you said, it's it's required. So you've got a chronology of events, 
And it's not just like the chronology of it, because they themselves then refer to things that happened in the past. So it's a clever little device to show you actually what's happening now is related to something that happened in, you know, February 2008 or something. You know, it keeps going backwards and forwards. Yeah, um, but it needs to do that, I think. It does. Because events that happen later on have an impact going back, and it, it, there is rhyme and reason for the way it's the way it's structured. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the scene that really got me was the when he interviews the guy and he talks about the knives. <sighs> And yeah, what, mm-hmm. and and he talks about the different knives for different seasons. Oh, you don't want to use that knife because in the winter they're going to have a you know a heavy leather coat on. You need a thin knife, and you don't want to spend this much on a knife because if I was spending this much on a knife, God, I'd be wasting you know thirty bucks a week killing people. Yeah, and the the matter of fact way that these guys talk about the people they've murdered is chilling. And normally you would think, oh, it's just bragging. It's just them trying to show off and, you know, get more propaganda. It's the twitches. It's the face twitches from this guy as he's saying that stuff about the knives. You're like, okay, he's probably actually speaking the truth. Um, And all the stuff they give you about the numbers of people being killed. Yeah. And you've got hard statistical evidence to say this many have been killed in this week and then change to this many this week. And you're like, there's some, there is evidence. This is real. This is happening. Yeah. It's not it's not just, you know, neo Nazi propaganda. It's not them lying and pretending like they're changing the world in their own sadistic sort of way. It's it's, it's And terrifying. it always ties it's ter- into what's happened in, in Marseille. Well There I'll, is a little bit of crossover there between mm-hmm. these extremely well organized far right groups and because they mention hooliganism in the film multiple times. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think it's quite this. I don't know if you could legitimately make that connection. I think that, in terms of attitude and culture, absolutely, of course you can. Well, can you? Of, I mean, well, you don't think those guys go to football? I don't think they would travel to Marseille. <laughs> to I think there's a very different kind of um, leaning here. I mean, what they what they're trying to do that is well, what they say they're trying to do. Pop the manifesto is to clear Russia of the rubbish. I don't think they're in it to just go and beat people up. I think there's a, a genuinely like sick mentality of fascism there. Um, so it, with the beard, I've seen him before, the guy towards the end with the ginger beard. He, I think he was in the, um, there was a documentary about fascists on BBC Three, where he featured quite heavily. Uh, and I have to say, this so far is probably my favourite film of the year. And Ross Kemp, albeit briefly, is in it. <laughs> is he? I must have missed that. Because yeah, they, they show clips from Ross Kemp on gangs. <laughs> <laughs> He'd obviously be out wow. to interview these people. Yeah, yeah, blimey. Um, Liam, uh-huh. you watched a film called Tanner. I did, yeah. Uh, this one is, you're saying about uh, things harking back to a previous television documentary. This one does. About Oh, it's probably about 10 years ago now, I'd say. There was a really sort of patronising documentary called Meet the Natives. Which okay. Probably just, um, they took some fellas from the island of Tana in Vanuatu and um, they brought them up to, and they took them all around America and basically, oh, look at the backwards people sort of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. All very unpleasant and patronising, as I say. But anyway... Um, that actually is kind of relevant in this because they're all in it. Um, it's a film made entirely on the island of Tanner. 
It's based on a true story that happened in the 80s. And um, there's no actors involved. They use the actual tribes. And I think you get away with it from a Western point of view because the language, they speak their own language constantly. And um, it's so entirely different to our languages, not just in words, but also in sort of like pace and structure and that. And I'm damn sure there's a lot of um, mistakes and fumbling over words and um and ahs that mm-hmm. we just don't notice because it's just blah, 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 to us sort of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, well, the basic story is of it. It's it's pretty much a Romeo and Juliet, but um, slight twist on it is that instead of it being two houses split, um, these two are from the same house and the two tribes have been warring and they decide they're going to make a peace. They can't carry on killing each other. They need a small island. They've already got um, like incursions on the other side of the island with Christian settlements being set, being set up. And um, they, they've got to start living in peace and in their way of castom. It sort of sounds like the word custom to us. but um, And the idea is that to make this truce, the one of the girls who's just reached their age of womanhood is promised as a bride to the chief's son of the other. But she's already fallen in love with a fella from her own tribe. And uh, it causes, you know, one hell of a, of a row. Uh, they basically run off without wishing to spoil it because I do. It is one you can get quite easily on DVD especially if you've got multi-region, but I did see some uh, region-free ones on eBay uh, of it. So it's a really nice film. looks spectacular because of the scenery. Um, one of the main uh, little characters in it is this little girl. She's she's only small. And as I say, none of them are actors. She's magnificent, this little girl. The lines that she has to... The amount of dialogue that she's given and the amount of acting she does... It is just out of this world for a kid who's not a trained actor, as I say, and she's brilliant. And the the whole setting of the film, the story runs at a really nice pace. It is kind of a Romeo and Juliet, as I say, um, but it's different enough. It's a different enough spin to, to really get you hooked and, and carry you on through it. I mean, it's like uh, recently on telly there was... Um, I, Finally got to see Kurosawa's Ran, which oh, is right, uh, yeah. uh, it was on BBC Four a few weeks back, which is Kurosawa's King Lear mm-hmm. twist. And I mean that I mean that story's been done to death again, like Romeo and Juliet. Has. But that was enough, it's changed enough to really carry you through. And this does it's one I, it's certainly the best film I've seen this year, and I've seen really? a few good ones. This Tanner. Does but it hold? Because it's, I'm guessing arranged marriage comes into it. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, this, so this is the it, whole. How does it? Yeah. How does it deal with that? Is it? Is it quite dark or is it quite fluffy or? No, not fluffy in the slightest. Okay. Um, again, without wishing to give it all, all away, what happens? Um, they have these. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen um, <clears throat> pictures or anything from these these um, islands, but the, the way the islanders live, they all have these. These huge trees. I can't think. Remember the name of the baobab or something like that. These trees with the huge trunks. I mean, it's absolutely enormous width 
and those places are all in front of those trees are always the meeting places and they send out um <clears throat> there's a man um, attacked and but left for virtually dead by the enemy tribe and the tribe that were wronged decide this just can't go on we've got to live in peace to try and maintain our way of life the western world is encroaching and um, they send out for what they call the peacemaker chief so he's a, a the chief of a tribe with no vested interest in their squabble and he brokers this piece in the meeting area and one chief walks forward says his piece turns walks back to his people and then the chief the other chief comes out and replies and it, all, all this to and froing goes on and they say we promise you our daughter wawa will marry your son and the others come forward and say, yes, we agree to that. Bring her in two days, we will make preparation. The peace is sealed. But um, she's already fallen in love with a member of her own tribe and they, they run off, basically leaving this, you know, careful nego carefully negotiated peace right up the creek. And the tribe are furious. Um... They say that basically they will hunt them down. They will, will go and find them. The, their own tribe are not allowed to go and find them. We will find them. We will kill him and we will take her. This is the this is what your word was. This is what we will do. Is this so going to put, sorry, I was going to say, is this going to put Vanuatu on the map other than being an answer on Pointless? <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. Um it's the first film made there. First film actually made there. Um, you can't really call it a Vanuatan, if that's the word, film, uh, because it's written, directed, and everything technical by Aussies. Um, but, uh, I mean, it did, the picture caught my eye because it was all sort of extraordinarily beautiful looking sort of thing, you know? These deep rainforests, rainforests that you see. And... Um, I mean, at first I was, oh, I don't know if I like this sort of thing, to be honest. It's a bit sort of mysterious. All the <clears throat> all the men walking around with those sort of, you know, those, um, <clears throat> sorry, the football shouting is starting to get at me. Uh, <laughs> uh, the men walk around virtually naked, except they've got these sort of like little wooden canoe things sticking up in the air for their old fella. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? Canoes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't like a wooden codpiece. No? Well, yeah, but it's sort of like long and thin and sticks right. It sticks way up in the air. It's like <laughs> some sort of major bragging going on. <laughs> <laughs> the term, I think that's where they got the term "getting wood" from. Excellent. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the women all have uh, the women are all mostly sort of like bare-chested-ish, but their garlands hanging around and. Um, you know those sort of really long grass skirts, brown, rustly uh, grass skirts sort of thing. And I think, I don't know, this all looks a bit bit off. But once you, the story started, I'd, and this little girl in particular, Celine, the character's name is, I mean, she's so good. At, she's, she's just brilliant in it. Um, delivers her lines brilliantly. And I think it's something to do with those quite big like, floor-length skirts or something. When they, she goes belting off, always causing trouble, and uh, she goes belting off through the forest. 
and it looks like she's running about a thousand miles an hour from the movement of this grass, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole film just worked, especially visually. I mean, it's just a lovely, lovely film to look at. Um, there's a good story going on. It's got a bit of everything. And, uh, I mean, I, I definitely recommend it. Best film I've seen this year, anyway. Cool. I sounds way too classy for our listeners, Liam. I'm <laughs> that out there. Owen, you're going to end on, you've seen Jake the Snake Roberts. So the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts. The which sounds like a terrible gay porn, but, I, but go on. It's the third part of the Passion of the Christ trilogy. No, it's, um, <laughs> it's a documentary. Uh, yeah, it's called The Resurrection of Jake the Snake, uh, which follows the uh, rehabilitation of a former of the former professional wrestler, Jake the Snake Roberts, um, under his former protege, Diamond Dallas Page. Um, they, and they insist on calling each other stuff like that, DDP. You know, they use the proper wrestler names, not whatever his real name is. Um, so Can I just yeah. say that I, I'm going to speak for uh, Liam here too. The uh-huh. last wrestling we saw was Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks. That yeah. I see. No, I, I, I assume that. I assume that. And I've mentioned on the podcast in the past that when I was a kid, I used to love wrestling. I mean, I just like the stuff when I was getting in my early teens. You know, it was when I was that age that was the what's called the attitude era. So it was when uh, wrestlers like Stone Cold and The Rock, who you probably know, uh, and all those guys who were trying to be edgy and there was swearing and you know tits and all this sort of stuff came into into the um, into the business. I mean, when I was really young, I actually liked wrestling as well. I loved wrestling like uh, with Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Big Boss Man, British Bulldog, all them kind of guys. I mean, I used to love that as well when I was really young. I think my so, brother used to watch it around that sort of time because those names you've just said mm-hmm. ring a bell and he used to watch it on a, on a Saturday evening sometimes with me little brother, like, you know? Yeah, so yeah. it would have been around that time. I think what was quite good about it back then um, with, like, my rose-tinted glasses on is that it was just pantomime, you know? And as a kid, it was it was great. It was pantomime, but with people fighting. Um, it didn't try to be edgy. It was just character. You had people like Popper Shango who just dressed up as a voodoo priest. You know what I mean? Or you had the big boss man who was a policeman, or IRS, who was that was his actual like wrestling name, and he was just a tax man. You know stuff like that. It was just <laughs> pantomime villain kind yeah. of things. It was it was fine. Um, but I I think what uh, what happened is I mean when I was seven when I was about seven we had a dog we got this new dog and we called him Jake. Uh, after me and my younger brother, uh, we decided to name him after the aforementioned Jake the Snake Roberts because we were just that interesting. Um, so we had all the toys, we had posters, we used to record pay-per-views and rent older WrestleManias and Royal Rumbles and SummerSlams and all these big events. We used to go and um, pay to rent them on video cassette tapes from Blockbuster. We used to cycle down there and get these wrestling videos and just watch them all the time because that's what, what we were into. And I think it's kind of had this nostalgic effect on me. So basically what I'm getting at is wrestling was quite a big deal for me and my mates when I was a kid. Uh, I did kind of grow out of it around... I don't know, 14 years old, probably. And I've tried watching it again, sort of now and then, within the past couple of years, but it's just absolutely fucking awful. I never, I don't really understand why I loved it as much as I did, other than the fact I was just a little kid. But nevertheless, I do still feel kind of nostalgic towards it. So you would think, then, a documentary 
about an older wrestler that I remember fondly, one who's struggling to beat an alcohol addiction and the sort of processes he's going through and how his former life has affected him. You'd think that would probably be right up my street, and yet I found it absolutely infuriating to watch. Mm. Mm. It wants to start off showing you Jake at his lowest ebb, which is fair enough, you know. It's, a, it's honest in how it shows you that Jake was just this fat mess living in this horrible little house uh, whose lowest point basically saw him exposing himself in the middle of the ring at a public like independent wrestling show that he'd been paid to appear at. Hey, mate, we've all been there. Yeah, we've all done that. I mean, there's no, no like um, stones being thrown here. But, you know, it just shows him like he's struggling to even lift up his leg to climb into the ring because he's that wasted, you know. And it's at this point, what I was thinking anyway was just like, Christ, I, you know, I didn't know he, he was this bad or wrestling had done this to him, poor chap. Uh, yeah. Which is exactly what it wants you to feel like, of course. It's, it's manipulating you at this point. And then it just turns into a fucking, like, 100-minute-long advert for Diamond Dallas Page's yoga program oh and his fitness oh, program. Christ. And it's just flogging merchandise all the time. So, so much of this film just felt entirely staged, or at the very least, carefully scripted. You get the opinion they did numbers of takes of the different interviews. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. it's just nobody in this documentary can speak normally. I mean, from mm. the wrestlers to the weird, like, unexplained wrestling fans who just seem to be hanging around inside Diamond Dallas Page's house to uh, the actual filmmaker himself, Steve Yu, who just decides to give himself just as much screen time as his subjects oh. for no discernible reason. They all talk in slogans. So in one particular scene near the beginning, Jake's been interviewed about uh, what he's doing, how his recovery is going. And he said uh, something like, um, I don't know, it was, it was like failure is not an option. Yeah. The very next scene after that, he's wearing a branded T-shirt with that exact slogan on it. And then the scene after that, he'll be wearing a different designed T-shirt with the same slogan. And then it goes on like this until the next slogan is delivered. Never give up. And then he's wearing a T-shirt with never give up written on it. And the scene after that, a different design of never give up. I mean, sorry, I mean, it's emotionally deep interviews. Like, this is what it should be about. This is where he's supposed to bear his soul. All it feels like is wrestling promo pieces. Uh, Owen, can can we address the elephant in the room here when it comes to wrestling? Uh And the reason I stopped watching it when I was, I don't know, 13, 14, (laughs) whatever, Uh in that it's all... Fake. It's all scripted. Fake. They are actors. They all have a green card to, to act. Is it a green card? Is that what it's called? No. What's the card you call Jeff in the States to be an actor? Oh, that used to be an equity card. Equity card. That's, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So they have an equity card yeah. to do that job. Mm-hmm. At what point would, do you not? I don't get how you can still watch it or still have an no, interest. No, I don't understand. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't still watch wrestling, but I was interested in this guy because he was someone I remembered fondly from when I was oh, a kid. Okay. It's meant to be a yeah. documentary about his rehabilitation. His, like, this is the, you know, what people want to know about wrestling. So many of these guys just die before they're even 50 years old, right? And there's got to be a connection there. And um, allegedly, the most common um, thing that's slung out there is steroid abuse, right? Yeah. So they mention this is about his addiction. And at one point he mentions drugs. He doesn't say steroids. He doesn't say painkillers. He just says drugs, right? A bit later on, he says, I didn't do cocaine. So whether it's like a sly mentioning of drugs as in, look, 
this is a serious problem about the drugs that are being given to the wrestlers, and this is something that happens to them by the time they get to this age. I don't know. I don't know whether that was kind of meant to be slyly uh, inferred. Um, I mean, the whole thing just sounds like the most horrible, exploitative, nasty, yeah. cynical mm-hmm. trick on a man who's on his uppers and desperate to do anything to get a few quid in the door sort of thing. Yeah, 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 uh, it does. I mean, I was kind of... I, for, I was forgiving of it as well because... I mean, to start with, I was forgiving of it because he is broke. You know, he's he's destitute. He's got nowhere to go, no friends. His family are just a, a deserted him. He just lives on alcohol. And, you know, they, there they are seemingly trying to get his life back on track for him. But then it just fucking tries to guilt you into not wanting to say anything bad about the documentary in case you make, like, Jake or Diamond Dallas Page cry again. They cry all the time. And at one point... He's on his way into the garage. Like he's walking towards the garage, and he, he says to the director, "Have you got your camera with you?" And he says, "Yeah." And then he starts to cry towards the camera. He starts to cry because someone said something bad about his hair, and now he really wants to drink again. And you know, I'm thinking for something which is about a drunk trying to turn his family around and win back his family. It's about as deep as like a Britain's Got Talent VT. You know what I mean? Oh, An X Factor segment and. At one point, Bobby Dallas Page, who's supposed to be helping out his friend, right? That's what he's there. He's supposed to be leading this rehabilitation. He just goes, like, now nah, I'm off to Costa Rica for a week-long holiday. See you later. And then he just goes. And if that doesn't tell you that the documentary is either fake or that Diamond Dallas Page's motivation for doing what he did is not entirely driven by this selfless act and it is by greed and he just can't take the stress or a bit of drama of his mate who he's trying to, supposedly trying to help when he when the going gets tough and he just goes, now, don't really give a shit. I'm off to Costa Rica for a holiday. See you later. You know, Ouch. I don't know what to tell you about it, really. The more I talk about it as well, the less I like this documentary. Shall I, I, I tell you about steroids, Owen? What about them? The, the only thing I, re- I remember, not that I do weightlifting or ever would have done them anyway, but when I was younger, and you may remember this, Liam, I think it was the Mary Whitehouse experience talked about steroids and what they do to your body. Mm-hmm. And I think it was probably David Baddiel who said, you know those tins of Heinz baked beans with sausages? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, the sausages, it. yeah. that's the size of your cock if you take steroids. <laughs> <laughs> if that wasn't a warning sign to anyone my age not to take them, I don't know what is. Mm. I, tell, I got put on a briefly for a medical thing once, and I tried to take swelling down on And uh, <laughs> i tell you what, i tell you what, they are nasty things. I weren't on these things long. Mm. And I'll tell you what... Um, Got spotty as hell, couldn't mm-hmm. sleep, uh, sweating all over the place. You'd got sweating to the point of like you'd slide off of things, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say these things are bloody Did nasty. you shrink your old fella to the size of a sausage, <laughs> baked beans and sausage? Right. So. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. And neither yeah. it is it a Nazi sausage either. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. But it's oh, that's that film, though, that, that documentary. Though. Do you know what? It, it, it's kind of ringing a bell with me. It's nowhere near as bad, I know. But sometimes when you see, when they're, they're showing things about Paul Gascoigne now at times, mm. especially on the news, and you think, I mean, that poor sod's been exploited by everyone. They're frightened. So, yes, he doesn't help himself, and a lot of his stuff is self inflicted. But he's, so many people made so much money off of him. And they're still trying to do it, you know? And it's just 
so damn un- unpleasant, isn't it? The whole thing, you know. He looks did, fucking I, terrible as well, doesn't he? I did watch that Gascoigne documentary last year, and to, to be honest, it felt like it was driven a little bit by him because he needed to the money. And I think it. I mean, I watched the Euro '96 documentary as well with that Alan Shearer did recently. Did you guys yeah, that? yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. That it was interesting, wasn't it? And yeah. I think the bits with Gaza in it, he still feels quite a, like a genuine bloke. Do you know what I mean? It, it didn't feel like he was, uh, or even if he was being exploited, I guess he didn't realise it. But it didn't feel like it. It felt like he he meant what he said when he was talking about how it keeps him from doing these Q and A's and stuff. They keep him out of trouble. Um, it's just, yeah, it's yeah. I've seen gone from being like one of he should be remembered for being you know one of our greatest football players ever mm-hmm. and now he's remembered for fishing rod jokes on twitter yeah mm-hmm. right yeah. but i go back to the wrestling thing uh paul you remember this one there was recently um a lot of hype on twitter a lot of hype on some of the accounts i follow about um the bbc uh, series arena passing some landmark birthday sort of thing and they put a load of their stuff up on the iplayer right. which included this really good but well, i found it interesting the hour-long documentary on Kendo Nagasaki. Oh, <laughs> oh I remember him. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was on the archive thing, so it may well be on there. be worth having a look. Yeah, no. But, I, uh, yeah, it was damn it. That was, that was pretty good. I thoroughly enjoyed that myself, that one. Probably better than this Jake the Snake one, anyway. Yeah. Almost certainly. Welcome back to Foul Critics, where we're going to take a look at this week's new releases, including Conjuring 2, Learning to Drive, uh, Where to Invade Next, and The Boss. To get us underway, though, Owen, you've seen James Wan's new film, Conjuring 2. I have indeed, yes. It's uh, New Line Cinema's sequel to their surprising smash hit from a couple of years back, The Conjuring. Uh, it's Ghost Hunting Stars. Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga both uh, are back. They both return. Uh, only this time they've headed to England in the 1970s and specifically to Enfield to try and figure out what's going on with the infamous Enfield poltergeist. Well, that's a shithole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell, they might as well have ended up in Bermondsey. <laughs> have you, you you must have heard about the Enfield Pulp yeah, yeah. haunting before when they were TV um, Sky did a, a two three part with Timothy Spall didn't they was it last they year did. yeah a year before I think was all, that was okay yeah. that was alright yeah, right. you've never heard of it no okay it's no. really famous I mean they make a point of it in the film as well that it's uh, basically that it's the UK's equivalent to the Amityville uh, hauntings the Amityville horrors so Yes. The Enfield Haunting. The yeah, Enfield. yeah, yeah, that was really famous, yeah. Mm. <laughs> you winding me up. I will Google it after the show, but I've yeah. never heard of it. The little girl, I think one of the girls admitted it after, uh, like, years later anyway, that it was all bullshit. It was, there, it was them anyway. Yeah, I think there was two two of them that were involved, the two sisters. And I, yeah, I that's I right. I think yeah. one, of them, one of them died, I think, and the other one sort of said it was, it was made up, and, but... 
you know. Anyway, anyway, so this is directed by, uh, as Paul said, James Wan, who uh, is also behind the Insidious movies and uh, Saw before those as well. He was, he was the director of Saw. And um, he's got a very particular and a very polished way of directing horror films. And The Conjuring 2 is no different, really. Um, it's kind of, it's like a very slick style of horror films. There's no grit here. There's no, like, it doesn't really ruffle the feathers. It's just a very slick, straightforward way of directing these films. It's not tacky or sleazy, but by the same token, it's not boring and it's not full of shit jump scares either. I think he normally um, builds tension well in his films. Uh, Saw being one of them. The previous Conjuring film, I thought, did the same as well. And, you know, and he concentrates on telling a story, on building characters up. Um, I mean, it's actually, it's very focused on getting you to care about these people and what's happening to them, which is a bit, a bit of a breath of fresh air for a modern movie in this genre. Uh, although saying that, I'm saying this genre as if everyone kind of expects that I'm referring to horror films. But actually... It's only really a horror film for half of the runtime, maybe even less, and then kind of again briefly at the end. I think it's much better to describe The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2 as, as sort of supernatural mystery thriller type films. Uh, it's more like, uh, in terms of what I mean by that, it's more Exorcist 3 than it is The Exorcist, if that's the reference that any of you get. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, it's yeah, not... Yeah, yeah. That's not Dig. I like Exorcist 3 and I like The Conjuring 2 as well. I'm not comparing them in terms of like plot or characters, uh, only in that they veer from your kind of atypical horror film to go into a slightly different genre and yet still retain some of those elements. Anyway, what I'm getting at is it's, it's pretty decent overall. Uh, the dialogue is occasionally a bit clunky. Um, some of it feels a little bit like exposition to set up what's going to happen. Uh, and it has... British people saying very British things. Everything except wanker, basically. Nobody's called a wanker. Uh, and actually, I normally that, that sort of thing annoys me. You know, they go, oh, bloody hell, oh, bollocks, that sort of stuff. Uh, because it's an American making a, an English film or film set in England. But I liked it in this, and I don't know why. It, it was very British at times. The look of it, the feel of the house, um, the creepy old man ghost that's in this as the sort of... I don't know if you'd call him a villain, but is that he's there, the ghost, the Enfield ghost. And it all felt like um, they'd nailed the feeling of it all. They really went for it and they got it to feel very genuine. Um, and it's always a worry, actually, when an American makes a film set in Britain. But credit where it's due, I think James Wan got it spot on. Uh, the only thing I'd say is the major problem, well, there's a couple of things, but the major problem is that around the hour mark, uh, when it stopped being well, it wasn't scary, but you know what I mean. It's going for that atmosphere. It starts to wane slightly. So the concept of being scared more by what isn't there or what you can't see is lost on James Wan. Because if this was a 90-minute movie, he could get away with it. But unfortunately for him, this is a 135-minute movie. How long? 135 minutes. Oh, mate. And I, I, there's no way I am ever committing to watching that for that long it's gonna put a lot of people off and i think after an hour of seeing the ghosts and the ghouls because you know he doesn't tease them you see them 
Um, they just stop giving you the heebie-jeebies. They just they're there. You know what they look like now. You know the way that they feature, the way they're brought about. There's one scene in the house, in the actual house, with the kids being scared when they first initially kind of discover what's going on in the house, and it's just it, it's repetitive. It's the same thing about three times in a row in short succession. And I just think this it's not tight. its I mean, the way it's directed is fine. I don't have a problem with it. I like how it tells a story, but it's just not a tight script or a tight film at all. Did he, who wrote this? Do you know? Is it not James Wan as well, was it? Uh, I, I can't remember who actually wrote Let it. Let me rip James Wan apart. Does he make good films or does he make films for a modest amount of money which make shitloads of money in return which if you look at Saw, Dead Silence Insidious, The Conjuring, Insidious 2 I hate, I genuinely hate all of these films I think they're all absolute dog shit made by accountants just to turn over money, it's a real cheap genre Mm -hmm. to make a slick looking film in and turn a profit that way you graduate, he got Fast and Furious 7 he's going to be doing Aquaman yeah, I mean, hey, he's great at making money. He's shit at making films. <laughs> well, I liked The Conjuring. I thought The Conjuring was really good. It was surprisingly good, even um, because the Insidious films I thought were okay. I didn't hate them. There were definitely worse, worse examples in this. You know that whole shit horror films made by accountants genre. You oh, know these def- for me they fall into it massively. It's you know it's it's you know which stinks the most kind of thing all those Lionsgate films this is this they are no better than any of those films. they I think though I think I would argue that they are I think there's there's a little bit more quality to the way that it's put together um I think you definitely get I'm trying to think off the top of my head what could be considered uh, a shit version of that and I just uh, the sinister films for example you know they're definitely not as creative as as say the conjuring and at least in its ambition and what it's trying to do. Um, but you get all these sort of films like uh, Ouija, you know, that was one from a couple of years ago. Um, the Poltergeist remake, you know, they, these are all shit versions of, of what The Conjuring is, I think. The Conjuring is at least trying to, to, to tell a story, which makes a difference. It's not just jump scare after jump scare. Okay. But, you know, I yeah, but you know, it's a difference of opinion, isn't it? It's very yeah, absolutely. Stuff, just, so. you know, it's, it's, this track record for me is that makes money, it's rubbish. That makes money, it's rubbish. That makes money, it's rubbish. You know, repeat. Mm-hmm. I think it also helps. I quite like Patrick Wilson, and I like Vera Farmiga as well. I, th- I think they're the two that that keep this going. Really, they're really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the the film itself goes, it also gets very... I mean, I just said I like Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson, but it, it gets very sentimental and mushy as well, towards particularly at, near the end of the film. Um, but I think it just about gets away with it. I think the, the main thing here is when you get those movies made by accountants, right, the one thing that they pull in it, they know it's going to get an audience, is if, if it's aimed at, like, if it's a PG-13, right, if it's going to go out to a 15-year-old audience primarily, 14, 15-year-olds thinking they're getting away with seeing something, they put a bit of tits in there, a bit of arse, some some scantily clad young woman, right? They mm-hmm. don't do that in The Conjuring, and they don't do it in... I don't in think they do, life. not so much nowadays you don't. 
see that. That that was, mm-hmm. yeah. I think you need to go back a good ten years to see the 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 the, the tits in horror as as a standard kind of thing for the. Yeah, but even like in bras, or you just get like uh, the Paranormal Activity films that do a little bit of that as well. You know, it's just like I don't think you you get that in in his films, which I see as a positive, really, because I don't I don't want to be pandered to in that way. I'd rather if you're going to make characters there, then you give them a reason to be there other than... Yeah, plus we have Red Tube now, are we, or Porn Tube or whatever. If you want to see tits, (laughs) you can just see tits. You don't need a glimpse of them in a horror film. Exactly, yeah, that's true. So... um, so yeah, but I don't. I don't think it'll be a film that anyone who enjoys dark, twisted indie horrors or torture porn movies or anything like that is going to like. It is mainstream. It doesn't make any apologies for being mainstream, um, and it, but it doesn't feel dumbed down. Di- diluted maybe a little bit, but it's not stupid. Um, so yeah, worth a watch for those who like this sort of thing. And it's decidedly better than the average fare for this genre. Cool. We are going to move on now to a learning to drive, which is a uh, this is a classy film. Patricia Clarkson, Ben Kingsley. Go on, Liam. How was it? Um, so first of all, the first thing um, I went into it thinking it was a comedy, um, <laughs> which it's it's just not. I actually think it would one of the listings on the genre was um, comedy, drama, comedy, this, that, and the other. So it's just not. It's I've just, got IMDb um, here. It says comedy, drama, and romance. And uh, two yeah, of those yeah. words put me straight off, so I'm never going to see it. <laughs> um, yeah, once I, I sort of found out which way it was going, I, oh, I know where this is going, and uh, and it went there. But it was, uh, <laughs> it's, but to be fair, it's better than, this is a sort of film, but to be honest, I won't watch American films like this normally, unless um, I've got a reason to, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think Americans do this sort of thing very well, and um, it's you dread to loathe loathe to use the term sort of chick flick type thing. I think this is from what I know of that sort of genre. I'd say this one is slightly better. Uh, obviously, Kingsley and Clarkson both very respected actors. Um, he's very good in this. They're both very very good in it. What the story is basically is she's. Um, Fairly successful, successful book reviewer. Um, she can successfully speak as well, unfortunately. <laughs> but there you go. Um, and but she's very, very dedicated to her job. And the husband gets the ump with her and clears off with a uh, with a girl. Um, so she's sort of on the bad end of a divorce, going through a really rough time. The daughter's away at uh, university, and. Um, then Ben Kingsley's character comes into it as a immigrant Sikh, legally immigrant, <clears throat> which is relevant later in the film because his house gets raided and that. But um, he's there legally. He's working as a taxi driver, which is where she first meets him. Um, she He takes her home after the husband dumps her in a restaurant and she leaves something in his cab. He returns it the next day. And she sees that he's also a driving instructor. And she's always relied on the husband. So decides she's going to learn to drive. There you go. That's the film. Ends the title, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah Just, exactly. if, if, he, if he bangs her in the back of the cab with his turban, banging up and down against the ceiling, <laughs> I'm all in. Uh, no, 
It yeah. doesn't strike me as that sort of film from the poster. I'll no. admit it's, no, it's not Confessions of a Driving Instructor. <laughs> no, no, it's With not. Ben uh, Kingsley yeah. and Patricia yeah. Clarkson. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think... I think uh, that would be... Uh, I think that's what we'd call... I'll tell you what, though, I've paid to see that. Yeah. I think that's what we'd call niche interest. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what it is, is it's basically... Um, Two people trying to, his his storyline really is uh, that he's lonely. He's looking after a nephew who's there illegally. Um, and he's lonely. His family back in India are trying to set up a marriage for him. He can't go home because he was a political prisoner. And um, his storyline is them arranged making an arranged marriage for him. Her storyline is that she's trying to put her life back together after a very expensive and messy divorce. And they spend... They're, they're, the storyline sort of run parallel and then intersect while she is having a driving lesson with him and they get chatty. How's the dynamic between the two? Is it kind of... Is yeah, it like very lost, good. Is it like Lost in Translation or...? No, nah, i not seen that. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> no, uh, no, it is... It's very good. It's very comfortable, both of very believable parts. There's nothing outlandish about either of these. But is there a romance there. between the two that isn't a romance? It's, yes, there it's right. So that's it's it's very much like lost in translation then. Oh right, okay. <laughs> it's sort of like it's hinted at and yeah. there's only one moment during the whole film where you actually possibly two. I think the bit where where this might be where the word comedy comes into it. At one point He's been moaning about needing a wife. She's been moaning about her husband, this, that, and the other. Um, and then she says about uh, she misses the way he touched her face and held her his, held her face between his hands. And the conversation goes on for a while. And then as he's getting immediately go home, he sort of like makes a an attempt to be nice, but it's more like a headlock than anything tender sort of thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that's, I think that's how, it, that's about it as far as comedy goes. Uh, so I've just bought that for anyone. <laughs> but anyway, um, the two stories go along, as I say, they cross over. It's hinted at that there's, there could possibly be feelings more than friendship ish. Um, when he's, he's trying to take her on her driving us and she ends up having a crash and making him extremely late to meet his new wife. The two storylines just go along. So there's not an awful lot for me to try and spill this out too long. There's not a lot happens in the film, to be fair. It's a perfectly nice watch. Uh, I didn't feel didn't feel like it was an ordeal to sit and watch it. I'd sit and look at it on a bank holiday. Uh, would I choose to watch it? Probably not. Will I choose to rewatch it? Probably not. Quite glad I saw it. Reasonable story. Certainly, his his storyline runs to my mind, to the end of the film runs a bit better in that it has a perfectly nice, sweet ending that just draw, you know, draws the story to a close. Her storyline more does what I dreaded it would do sort of thing and just collapses into this typical American yeah. diabetes-inducing sugar-coated <laughs> pap that they all seem to love to trot down 
uh, gulped down that just drives me potty in modern film, that sort of thing. Sounds just like a, a proper Sunday afternoon matinee. That's it. I think this thing will end up on Channel 5 on a, <laughs> on a weekday afternoon. 5 USA. Yeah. yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, it, it should be held better than that because it's a it is a slightly different story to the way they usually go. They're two extremely good actors. Um, not there aren't many sort of side characters that get too involved in it, but those that are are very good. There's nothing to overly mo- other than the saccharine ending for her storyline. There's nothing to moan about this film at all. There's nothing to overly praise, but you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it passed an hour and a half, um, and it wasn't desperately unpleasant. Cool. Um, next up, we have Michael Moore, uh, his new documentary, Where to Invade Next. Um, I've seen this. Uh, yep, Liam yep. have seen this. And I'm pretty sure Owen has seen this because I've seen his review and it says, this is a horrific film. I had a difficult time masturbating to it. Was that <laughs> a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a documentary, a travel log, uh, which follows Michael Moore, whose films always have uh, an agenda and a very narrow focus to get the message that he wants across. But he does do it in quite a, a kind of light-hearted and comical way. He'll even kind of, you know, take the mickey out of of the places he's going to. Um, he essentially visits loads of places around the world, jokingly invading them to steal their best ideas. And when I say their best ideas, I'm talking about labour rights and sex education, school meals, and all these kind of really wonderful things that all of these different countries across the world have. He wants to bring them back to the United States and claim them for the, for the United States. Um, I'm going to say this is his best film for me so far, even though it is very, very focused on his agenda. And he cherry picks the best bits from Italy, France, Finland, Slovenia, Germany. Yet I I was totally caught up in it, totally caught up in, in what he was trying to do. The blunt but clever way he was trying to deliver the message back home but what really nailed it for me was this message wasn't just for the States. I felt it was absolutely relevant for the UK as well. What, what did you think, Liam? Yeah, I'd agree with everything you said on that. Um, I'm a lefty, and um, but I'm not a blinkered lefty. You know not the workers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, as you say, he does cherry pick. And... He not only picks the nicest cherries, he also picks the rankest doctor that he can find to compare it against, sort of thing. The real depths of horrendous misuse of power that goes on in America that we know does exist, does happen, but thankfully is something of an exception, you hope, as as much as we can imagine, you know? Um... I'd say it is naive's not the right word because he's done it deliberately. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Do you know, but I, do you I not think know. because of the the intended audience, it needs to be, and, and no disrespect to any American listeners, but 
for the people he's trying to get this message to, it needs to be delivered in this way. Very blunt, very bold and very basic. Possibly. Um, I think the thing is that, I mean, the people that love him are going to see this and going to love it. And the people that don't love him won't watch it. And if they do, they'll just assume he's a communist. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I want to just, let's just sort of cherry pick the first one without spoiling it because there's loads of countries he visits. That lovely, good, you know, good looking couple in Italy. Oh, yeah, I've ready. seen this bit. Yeah. I've seen this bit. And as it unfolds and they talk about how many holidays they get, how they get an extra boat, you know, an extra month's wages at Christmas, how they get a month off paid if they get married, if they get six months off paid if they have a baby. Their their lifestyle looks idyllic. They have companies who make clothes, they have Ducati who make motorbikes, and they have the bosses who come out and say, no, this is how it should be. Yeah, of course you, we give our staff two hours for lunch and all the members of that family meet at home, have a cooked dinner, then go back to work. And that no, that's it almost sounds like this idyllic, tranquil. But to deliver that message back to the Americans, I think that this is the way they had to do it. And I have to say, even though I knew what he was trying to do, I was still quite jealous of some of the things that we were being shown. Oh, yeah, I mean, I was dead jealous. I mean, that was fantastic. And those, but you think to yourself, well, yeah, okay, he's found them. But um, I bet you could say to 80, 85, 90% of Italians have a look at that and say, well, I don't get that. Yeah, of course, because these, want, you know, <laughs> the guy was a police officer. When he said, I've, yeah. I've got 80 days' holiday left from last yeah, year. Yeah, I've been banking on <laughs> 80 days' fuck? holiday. Yeah. <laughs> But I think you need you need a sledgehammer to crack a walnut with the states. You do well, yeah. You you do to an extent, but then you, I don't know. I mean, and I'm not talking about you know people who've listening to this. You know, people who are well educated, well travelled. You got to remember, most Americans a don't have a passport, and b think we all wear bowler hats. <laughs> but that's not, mate. That's true. That's what they think. Uh, yeah, mm. I suppose you're correct. Yeah, it's just. I think if you want to make change back home, don't say to them like this is the not this is what you should be doing. People should be having being able to bank up eighty days holiday and you know have this that and the other. You do it at least a little bit sort of like because that's just sort of like it's not sort of like here take this spoonful of sugar this spoonful of medicine. This is, this is not this is sort of like backing a six foot of the suppository up there are sort of thing. You know, it's it's sledgehammer stuff, isn't it? It, it, it is. I used to. I mean, I worked with Americans, and uh, and I had a lot of them come over and, and and work with me in the UK, even though we had the same kind of employer globally. And when, when I say like, oh yeah, I'm off, I'm off, I'm off this bank holiday tomorrow, and then I, then I book the next four days off, then I'm back, then I'm away for two weeks. They would look at me genuinely as if I was from another planet. So. He, <laughs> From, yeah. from when he delivered what their rights were and what Americans kind of deal with, he it isn't a joke. This is true. And, you know, bear in mind, I was working alongside people in the same company. Yeah. And he was like, Paul, we get we get 10 days. That's it. <laughs> and he said, I feel really fortunate to get 10 days. I'm like, fucking 10 days. Mate, I get five weeks plus bank holidays. <laughs> <laughs> plus, <laughs> plus sick pay. And they don't get yeah. that in there. They don't get that, do they? No. No, they are. I mean, it's horrendous, isn't it? The 
And the hours these guys yeah. do, this guy used to do way more hours than me. And to you be can fair, just be sacked for nothing. You know, yeah. there's no like. Yeah. Um, when I the... went to his house, though, in. Uh, oh, God, I can't remember where he lived now. Um, oh, San Diego. He had this like gorgeous fucking apartment, this huge Range Rover, clothes, money. You know, he was well paid for this. Equally, though, he never had any time to enjoy it. Yeah, it's a balance, isn't it? I yeah. I'll tell you one thing. I, again, without wishing to spoil this for you, but just wanting to discuss it with someone who's seen it. Did you pick up on uh, when they were doing Tunisia? Um, the subtext sort of thing, what wasn't said sort of as much as what when they were saying about how liberal they are there, how um, women's rights, they can choose to wear the veil or choose not to wear the veil. Um, <clears throat> and the politician they were talking to, um, he said, he said, so any woman can just say, no, I don't want to wear that. He said, this is not the state's business, it's the, the household business. Yeah, or the, was, I, there was the business yeah. of the church and the household, not yeah. the state. And I, yeah, I could... I could and see he where he's going with that. Yeah, but he said, so they're, they're allowed to. And he said, well, yeah. I tell my wife to cover her, but it's not, nobody else has to. But they're free to... Other people are free for other choices. And I just thought, well, that's completely not liberal, then, isn't it? You told no. your wife. And... Um, I think it, the more the point of that was the abortion side of things. Yes, that, that was true, yeah. You know, you yeah, were, that so was very good. Country, and... Yeah. You know, to show this North African country where women are absolutely entitled to, you know, to take control of their own bodies, yeah, that full access super. to abortion, yeah. whereas in the States, not the case. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's a I, massive contrast between the two cultures. And that, that that's why he chose that country. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm being a bit pedantic on that one. To be and honest. I love that in Germany, he he very specifically when he did the labour rights stuff, he picked the most boring company in the world, which is oh, a yeah. pencil company, yeah. and yet they all look so happy. Yeah, it must have been. I was rather envious of that myself. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah. Do you know what? I quite happily go and work at the... You're yeah. It's at two o'clock every day. Yeah. <laughs> You're not, it's illegal to be emailed outside of work. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, yeah. When we say he cherry-picked his targets... He didn't just cherry pick them. He bloody, you know, he absolutely got those cherries, huffed them, polished them, and covered them in chocolate. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, it was a. I don't know. I, yeah. Uh, to be fair, I mean, it is. It's it's a Michael Moore documentary. It's. I think. <laughs> I don't know. I think you can't. You do. You kind of like. You need your Morgan Spurlocks. You need. You know your Michael Moores to. Yeah. Just to give. That slightly broader appeal. Yeah, yeah. You so, do need somebody to to sort of do it in a, a poking fun type of way as well, sort of thing. But yeah, because he made fun yeah. of the. He, oh yeah, first, you know, he, he did pander to the American audience in making fun of all the stereotypes attached to all these countries he visited as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Apart from, as we say, the Iceland one, that was when when he moved into the kind of women being in power and having an equal share. That was very serious, and those Icelandic women were very serious people. Oh God, yeah, no yeah. humour there at all. No, no, I, I genuinely, I really enjoyed it. I think, I think, definitely his best film. Entertaining, 
But I mean, did you feel though that it it kind of as well as being relevant to the states? Did you not see a lot of this stuff? Oh God, yeah. I mean, it's so yeah, exactly, and even more so. Um, I would say with the decision we got coming up on the EU as well, um, a lot of that put me right in mind of that. To be honest, you know, some of the things that are being alleged, you know, in or out sort of thing, you know, um, with regards to rights and things like that. And yeah, it's certainly a thought provoker, and I. I don't want to give the impression I didn't enjoy it. I did, and I watched it throughout, and it, it's exact. I think it's almost exactly two hours long, and it's um, two hours that flew past. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is genuinely entertaining though, and, oh, and yeah. quite funny, and quite yeah. touching. And it, it does it pulls it pulls all the strings all over the place, and it does it really well, even though it's completely contrived and manipulative. This is it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think as long as you. As long as it's people who, I don't know. I think you need a really open mind and to be really forgiving before you go into it. And if you this go into that yeah. set, you'll, you you cannot help but have a good time watching it. Yeah. If you think you're watching a, a documentary in full terms of the documentary, you, you're probably not. But you're, uh, you're watching a an infomercial, maybe. <laughs> For no, an infomentary or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something like Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, certainly I wouldn't put anybody off seeing it at all. It's a thoroughly entertaining two hours. But, uh, yeah. Right. Shall we all rip the boss a new one? Or mm. not? Um, <laughs> I presume you mean the film and not me. <laughs> oh. 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 Sorry, Your Highness. Gaffer. <laughs> the boss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go with Paul Lintz. You're going to have to call me the gaffer, the governor. <laughs> hey, I, I think... No, one of my lads called me the gaffer once, but that was it. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, nobody calls me the gaffer. Um, the Boss, uh, the new Melissa McCarthy film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kristen Bell, Tyler Labine, Peter Dinklage. These are all really good people. And this film is fucking dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't mean two words, Paul. <laughs> go on, you two, go on. go on. Who wants to go first on this? Well, I've just done a load of whinging. You, you give me a rest. You, you have a whinge. <laughs> right. Oh. Well, it it's supposed to be this kind of financial um, mismanagement where this horrendous woman is making all this money and she'll backstab anyone to get you know to get what she needs to do in business, which is Melissa McCarthy. I just found it so removed from any form of reality. It's just ridiculous. She gets sent to prison for insider trading, is it? Mm-hmm. You have to bear with me. Yeah. It was a couple of months ago I saw this. Um, then she comes out of prison and she's homeless and penniless and goes to live with her assistant, who is Kristen Bell, who has a kid, and they play on this um, dynamic between McCarthy and the kid. And I was just, please, this cannot be happening. I think I've got my notes here that if this was art, it would be dipping your hand in a bucket of shit and doing a finger painting. It's uh, not. It's, it's by for me the worst film of the year, and it, it, and that the I, just, I was incredulous when they <laughs> went there in the last fifteen minutes and did the the sweet twee redemption between um, McCarthy and the kid who she. She kind of, you know, she pushes her away and then she brings her back and they all love each other. It's like, oh, my God, I'm going to vomit. It is fucking tragic and an abomination. 
you you could have written this film yourself, basically. Yes, what I if think. I was twelve if and you... I was told write a funny film, Paul, and I go, oh yeah, I can do this. Let's have the fat lady. Let's have the pretty lady. Let's have a little girl. Yeah, no. There's, I mean, I didn't think it was great by any stretch of them. I didn't even think it was good, but I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't, I didn't have the energy to hate it. It just, I mean, I didn't laugh, which for a comedy is pretty criminal, you know. Well, that's... well, let's re- If you didn't laugh and it's a comedy, how can you not hate it? Well, that's what I mean. It was just like, it, it didn't actively make me hate it. It just made me not feel anything for it. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, it's like when I was talking about the Jake the Snake thing. There were things in that that really annoyed me to the point I felt patronised, I felt insulted. This was just like... I mean, it's not like there, were, the, there weren't jokes in it. I guess it was. it's just a subjective thing, though, right? I mean, there's stuff like her being flung into the wall by an unreliable sofa bed. Or a street fight with a group of girl guides. Or the sexual stuff with Peter Dinklage. It's all physical comedy... With snippets of people saying things that are a bit taboo, but I mean, like, like I said, it's just, some people like that kind of thing. It's easy humor, and it's that's fine. They they can like it. If Peter it didn't Dinklage do got out his cock, whipped down uh, McCarthy's undies, and stuck it in her, I still wouldn't have laughed. That's that's your answer for everything, though. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just didn't. Uh, it didn't do anything for me. I don't. I watched it with my parents as well, right? Perhaps that was part of it. It was just at the end of the England game. I was already pretty down, and we we watched The Boss. And it was... Uh, I mean, they laughed more than I did, but even they didn't laugh much. And, you know, it doesn't take much in comedy to make my mum chuckle along with it. But it was just like... it just It was just a collective sigh of relief when it finished that we never had to watch any more of it ever again. It was just like, it's over now, that's it. It's going to be forgotten about by this time next week. Uh, come the end of the year, it will be the only other time I ever recall that I watched this film when we do our end of year list and it's not in the top ten and I'd put it maybe in the bottom five. But it's, it's just not worth me getting so distressed by. I mean, Are you not angry by the people in it? Because Kristen Bell, she's good. She's funny, I love her. And um, Tyler Labine... He's one of my favourite comic actors. Yeah, I like him too. And yeah. uh, everything he's been in up until that, I've loved him in. Oh, he comes the jolly fat guy. He's always really funny. He was just—he needn't have been in this, to be fair. He's in the new series of uh, <laughs> of Voltron, Paul. The uh, you remember the eighties cartoon Voltron? Yes. Mm-hmm. The Netflix original. There's a new version of that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the, no, I mean. I, no, I didn't. I didn't feel disappointed by any of the people in it. I thought they were doing something that was just not funny to me. That's all I felt. I didn't feel like it was something that was lowest common denominator shit. It wasn't. No, this was. The, well, you watched it with your parents. The trouble with this comedy is you can watch it with your parents. <laughs> yeah, that's not. That's not always a bad thing. I think there is room in life for lighter comedies that are just easygoing kind of things, but. Um, I mean, Liam, what what was your opinion of it? What did you think? Of I'm it? sort of halfway between the two of you. I hated it, but okay. <laughs> uh, I I I really really disliked it. Um, I thought there was 
there was absolutely nothing new to it. It was rags mm-hmm. to riches to rags to riches. Um, it was... Uh, she was exploiting the little girl at first, and then she started to love her. And, it, and you've just seen it all a thousand times before and mm-hmm. probably done better. Um, there, there, was, there was nothing. I mean, there was... There were one or two bits that you could see were intended to be funny. They they were sort of like maybe half a chuckle or something. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, those were the bits that they sort of like super puffed on the on the trailer. So you know, oh lord, is that the best we're getting? Mm -hmm. Sort of thing. Um, I really didn't like it at all. I thought it was a total time thief. I wanted a refund on my time. You know, (laughs) Um, you know. You know, yeah. I uh, I have got pins and needles in my foot from sitting watching this crap, and I want compensation. You know, <laughs> um, it's uh, I just did nothing for me at all. Found it, but I haven't got. To be honest, to boy Owen's like, um, it was it was crap. But to be perfectly honest, I think I think I've um, sort of like due to um, Andy Alcock making me watch the most appalling load of crap I've ever seen in my life um, recently. It, uh, what, what was that? You can't you can't just put that out there yeah. and move on. You, you can't even well, thank it like that. To be fair to him, he didn't recommend it. It was more a cry for help <laughs> than a recommendation. It was, um, what the hell is this about? It was this Japanese film called Tag. Um, right. on YouTube. It's only, I think it's from last year, possibly. The only way I can describe it is to use an analogy of um, Red Dwarf. Episode, do you know the despair squid episode of <laughs> yeah. Wolf? Yeah, it's like that, but by, but rewritten by a nonce. It's just a <laughs> wow. Um, the the worst part of it is is the. the Mate, first... I'm looking at the cover. It's got Japanese schoolgirls in school uniform, which is yes, a, a red flag. Red yeah, flag. which is a lot of Japanese. In fact, eighty percent of Japanese cinema. On the cover of the DVD, you will see Japanese schoolgirls. Yeah, I mean, oh my god! The thing is, the first five minutes, you think, "Hang on a minute, I could be onto something here." This looks good. This two buses are going, the school buses taking these kids all up to some lake type camp thing. I don't know. They're going along this highway anyway, all happy singing, and then all of a sudden, um, one little girl drops her pen on the floor and bends over to pick it up. While she's bent down there, this funny wind type thing comes along and slices the bloody lot in half. Um, <laughs> coaches, kids, the lot. There's sort of a, uh, these half torso, torsos left sitting in the chair. Do you realise you're selling this film, not selling <laughs> this film? No, this is what I was saying. The first five minutes, you think, I'm onto something here. This looks, this looks good. Um, and then it just turns into this weird circular it's going round not knowing what they're really doing it's just sort of like this wind thing keeps going and it's it's their purest excuse to get schoolgirls to flash their gussets at the camera it's just appalling crap <laughs> and, and Andy it, recommended this no 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 he did not <laughs> recommend it that's okay, what I say just clear he that up. Trying, no no that looks no, 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 Andy did not recommend this. He said, I've just watched a film and I don't know what the bloody hell I've watched. Sort of thing. Um, Andy Alcock. 
schoolgirl pantomime. Yeah. He won't listen to this, no. Uh, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, he did not. I make it very clear to Andy. Uh, and Mrs. Andy. And Mrs. Andy, yeah. Uh, but it was nothing to do with it. It was just, just the, the, by the end of the film. You don't know. Oh, they try to do this clever reveal thing that's that it's um, some computer. Like I say, the despair squid thing that, that everybody's in a computer game and that she's been controlling it, and then it does another layer. She finds out afterwards that it's just something she's written in her book, a story she's written. And you just say, what the bloody hell was that about? Mm. Um, I must admit, um, I've overdone some of the the not stuff for comic effect, but it's not, but not by much. I'm not blown it up by too much. The bloody things on YouTube, if you want to put yourself through it, do. I think uh, the weirdest Japanese film I've seen uh, isn't House. I think that's usually the go-to one. That is pretty weird and out there with the witches and stuff. But uh, R100, have you guys seen that? Yeah, I have. What is oh, that about? I nearly did the other day. I saw it listed on something. I nearly watched I it. I think it was on Film 4 recently. Just, oh, the, seen, just yeah. don't understand that film at all. The stuff with the woman spitting on him in the room. It's like a weird sexual... Uh, that is just, I mean, it's just the weirdest Japanese film it's, I've ever seen. That's a proper weirdo fetish Japanese film, mm. isn't it? It's all leather and stocks and suzzies and choking and... Yeah. But it's, tr- it's treated as a, a, like a serious Artos film. And I was watching it and thinking, yeah, this, this, what is Artos about this other than the way it's shot? It's just a fetishist's movie. But anyway. I saw a Japanese film a good few years ago called In the Pool. And it was when I was doing me sort of random number thing where I just um I went through the alphabet and I got to I clicked the random number counted down a list of films and watched that um and it was this it was supposedly a comedy and it must purely have been aimed at into you know um home market because you know they've got I mean their their life is very structured in terms of manners and things like that isn't it mm-hmm. you know uh, and these things must people must have been crossing these taboos I could not figure out what the bloody hell was going on. It was all this, this psychologist, and he'd have a patient in, and they'd say they'd been up to something that to us would be sort of like nothing much, I think. And then in the next minute, everybody's swimming up and down in this pool, and it's obviously, you know, when you know something is significant, it's hugely significant, it's supposed to be hugely significant, but you don't know what the bloody hell they're on about. And I just sat there, rather than turning it off, I did sit through it, but I was completely fogged by that one as well. Right. The Japanese films, I mean, I've got Owen's review of R100 here. Oh, right. This is a horrific film. I had a difficult time masturbating to it. It was that bad. So <laughs> the time. <laughs> sure. uh, to be fair, I have a difficult time with that for... Anyway, no, never, never mind. It's sure. even more difficult when we're podcast... No, I, sorry, I'll, I'll show <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can put it out there now that this podcast is hard to fap to. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do our recommendations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we we haven't really got anything else to say about the boss, have we? No, no, no. Least said, soonest mended. Exactly. Well put. Okay. Well, this week on uh, which is I, I had this film for months without any subtitles. 
but it's now on Netflix in the UK and it is Chuck Norris versus communism, um, which is about uh, black market VHS tapes of Hollywood films um, all through the 1980s in Romania and how the, the local people, you'd have one person who had a video player. There was this network of people who brought in these um, cassettes. There's lots of talking heads about there was one lady who dubbed every film illegally, badly as well, because she wouldn't put any swearing in. The, you'd have the English, she quickly said the Romanian afterwards. That's how they were dubbed. They weren't, you know, dubbed in the sense that we know. And it kind of charts the downfall of Ceausescu and stuff at, through um, the eyes of all these people and their window into the world through these VHS tapes. It is a little bit repetitive, but yeah, really good, really, really worth your time. And as it's on Netflix for free, pff, why not? Sounds good. Yeah. From the title, I thought, no way. But from the description, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I might have a squeeze at that. What have you got for Zoeing? Uh, well, both um, Liam and I earlier in the week actually said we were looking for recommendations, and there was just there's nothing on this week really. There's bet there's bugger all on TV, um, but I can give you one to avoid. How about that? Go on. Channel four at ten to eleven in the evening on Saturday is I Frankenstein. Oof. Which is possibly the worst film I've ever seen in the cinema. Possibly the worst. It's absolutely fucking horrendous. It's awful. Um, just don't go anywhere near Channel 4 on Saturday. Cool. My, yeah. Liam. Um, ITV4 on Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. Um, this is more probably for the younger listeners, I would have thought who thinks Steve Martin only does those dreadful remakes of uh, Bilko or things like that. <laughs> uh, the the Jerk is on, and The Jerk is a very, very good film and a very funny film. And it's on which... Uh, uh, when he did, he, he had a run of four or five really very, very funny, very good films, and that that's the first of them. And it's well worth a watch of, you know, and it's well worth a couple of hours of anyone's time. It's on ITV4. Cool. Next week, uh, Owen and Steve will be joined by Sheena Easton and Tony from Hollyoaks. We'll be reviewing uh, Confessions of a Plumber's Mate. or Very hard to fap to, that one. Yep, or <laughs> could be anything, because I, I don't know what's on next week, so I just made that up. What, what is next week, Owen? Uh, we're going to do a film commentary again. Yep. Remember we did the one for the Blair Witch Project? Um which was me, Matt Lamborn, and Andrew Brooker, and Steve Norman. Well, Steve's still away next week, so... Um, is he still caravanning some... with a friend? He's still off caravanning, he is indeed. Uh, <laughs> and so I uh, am trying to get a few people together to, to review a comedy as yet undecided. So, mm. Well, not review, we'll, we'll, we'll do like a watch-along-with kind of dealio. So you can play the podcast along as you're watching the film and listen to us chat over it. I don't know why you would want that, but some people seem to like the Blair Witch Project one that we did last year, so we'll, we'll do another. Excellent. Well, thank you tonight, guys. Thank you, Liam. Cheers. Cheers, lads. Appreciate it. Had a good fun, that one. Thank you, Owen. Yep. No worries. Thanks, Roger. Three jobs I've got. Three. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> That's it from us. See you next week. Um, 
the Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Can I just <laughs> clear my throat? I got—I don't know yeah. what the hell I've got in my mouth. <laughs> I won't be a sec. Killing him already. Yeah. Mm. Perhaps his missus has been watching Frozen and he's <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.